Welcome, and thank you for tuning into Organon, the official podcast of Ology Research Group, exploring contemporary social issues via data, insights, and change. According to an article found on CheatSheet.com, there are many reasons why these days job hunting can be an extremely difficult task. The reasons include extremely long applications, getting a job that doesn't fit what you're looking for, these personality tests, jobs that don't really exist, and not hearing back from hiring managers. On this episode, we share some tips on how to make your job search and interviews successful, maximize your chance of being called, and how to save something more precious than money, your time. Present today to discuss this topic from New York City, we have myself, Carl Letamendi. And Jasmine Letamendi. And recording from Los Angeles, we have... Hey there, Casey Shap. And Courtney Jose. Courtney, take it away. So I think from a job hunting perspective, it really depends on what industry you're in. So for example, mine, I think paid search in LA is a lot more, there's there's more people than there are jobs. So it's easier for me to find a job if I decided to move on. But in, I think somewhere like New York, it's a lot harder to be given all the headquarters are over there. But I think it's really dependent on what you decide to do. And it's important to go into college knowing what your opportunities are and taking that into consideration from a future perspective. Like there's more programming jobs than there are programmers. So that's probably the way of the future. So it's like betting your odds against what's available because sometimes you need to take into consideration what the marketplace looks like and that'll help improve your chances. So I would test out the open areas of growth to see if you like it or not. And if you don't, you could choose something else, but at least you gave yourself the opportunity to better prepare yourself for the future. So how does the job searching process um, feel like in your industry? Because I remember at least when I was going to school um, that in in South Florida, that whenever I would want to apply for a job, that I would kind of start at at baseline, I guess you could say, applying for jobs that I really wanted. And then once I got those out of the way, I would apply for a bunch of other jobs that I know I qualify for that I might not really want. And then after that, you kind of switch into panic mode and start to just apply for anything. And I felt that uh, a lot when I was in South Florida. So I think it's also kind of like a regional thing but in New York City and maybe in, in California um, won't feel it so much because there's like a lot of jobs. You can hop around easily. But maybe like in the South Florida market, I think it, I, I felt like it was extremely difficult to land a job. So do you think in your field that that's the case or or is there just like a surplus of positions everywhere? Um, I think it's, it's probably a surplus of positions just because it's newer and it's LA's like the out off or it's more of the satellite office a majority of the time, which is why it kind of ends up being that way. But I do think it is a regional activity because even in LA, it's more on the, towards the ocean is where all the jobs are. But if you go away from the ocean, you'll find less and less opportunities. Okay, guys, I might have a really bad pun for this. I mean, metaphor. I feel like maybe, um, okay, well, I spoke with this this guy, co-worker one time, and I was just, uh, we both, like, 
31 years old. But the way we approach work was completely different, like how we got there. He took a college, he took like a year off from college to explore the world, essentially doing bartending and just kind of living in different regions of the world. And, and then when he came back, he decided to do um, computer analytics and research. And for me, it was more like a straight through. Like I went to school, I kind of knew what I wanted, and then I ended up being where I am now. So both of us kind of took a different route, but we all, we both ended the same, the same, you know, destination. I wonder if we can apply the same concept with, with work in general. Like maybe we'll focus way too much on landing the job and not enough to say, okay, maybe this is just a process, not a journey. Like not a destination, but just uh, what was the saying? It's not the end goal, it's the process that counts or something along that line. Life is not about the destination, it's about the journey. It's about the motion in the ocean. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What do you think about that philosophy of work? I mean, it sounds like you guys are both at different stages in your in your lives. And so everybody's journey, like you said, is different. So there's really no way that you could compare the two because they're so different. You just happen to land um, working at the same organization at this point in your journey. And from there, you don't know where what other organizations you might work at. Um, it's interesting just to think about when you are applying for jobs, um, most of the time we consider, you know, that it's very competitive, but there's actually three levels of, you know, for you to think about qualifications. There's you're either qualified or it's a competitive or you're either a fit for the job. And so I think those are very important aspects to, to look at. Most of the times, um, like Carl was saying, you're applied to jobs that you're just qualified for. And so it's an easier search because, you know, you, you just need, depending on your situation, if you have bills to pay, most, um, you know, most people now that graduate with higher education have student loans. And student loans are pretty much what you owe in a house, like a mortgage or higher. So if you're making those type of payments on student loans, you can't just sit around and not do anything. Um, you don't have the luxury of traveling the world unless you have trust fund and or parents that can really support you in doing that. But most, you know, most of us hardworking folks have to think about just getting a job overall. And if you're lucky, you know, you end up working in your field and you work your way up the ladder to make sure that you're successful and understanding the, the dynamics within the group. Um, and if let's say, you don't have the experience, then you gain the experience by volunteering. For example, I didn't have a lot of experience working in the nonprofit sector, but when I was in South Florida, I was able to volunteer for a nonprofit. And within that nonprofit, it was it's very recognized nationally for college access. It's the Posse Foundation. And so they're known, um, they have... They, they're known in, in different parts of the country and what they do is they work with colleges and high schools and seniors that are about to graduate high schools and put them into cohorts, posse cohorts. And they have partnerships with different institutions, private and public, that will allow funding for the program and it shows success in graduation rates and cohort rates so this organization you know i'm like this this would be something that i that i would be interested in and so i volunteered for them 
But when I came to New York, um, you know, it pretty much like research shows that if you're going to want to make a job that at least pays you 60K a year, it's going to take you six to nine months to find a job that's going to pay you that much because you're applying. There's more jobs. I mean, there's more people applying for the jobs and the jobs that you want. So in that capacity, you know, you have to make yourself marketable. So what I what I when I was applying for nonprofit jobs, um, you know, I had that in my resume that I volunteered. And one of the I was called to come in, do my second interview with a nonprofit here. And the person that was interviewing me was actually a director, a former director for Posse. And that person was like, oh, I saw that you volunteered there. And, you know, that stood out to me. Tell me more about that. And so. It didn't matter my education or my degrees or whatever, you know, all that stuff. It was more of like that connection. So even if you are switching industries or you're interested in, you know, something that is different from the industry that you're working now, getting those experiences really makes makes you stand out in front of other applicants. Because at the end of the day, you, you know, they're going to see that you have a competitive advantage because you you bring in your education and then you also show that you have civic engagement in some capacity. What are your thoughts, Courtney? Yeah, oh, wait, I would question. say that. Sorry, go oh, ahead, sorry. Casey. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to. Is it really luck, or I mean, is it really the experience, Jasmine, that you had, or was it just happened to be lucky that the person who interviewed you knew the organization? I mean, I, I totally agree about the education thing. And to some extent, I'm not even sure, like, your past job experience is not as qualifying. I wonder if it's, like, in general, it's just basically you, you lucked out. You had someone who had an interest in something, and then they you were able to connect with them through that. No, I would, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's still education, but then there's different parts. Like, education is also very segregated. Sorry to say that. But let's say if you work in higher education, and they're like, oh, you work with college students. If you work with K-12, like, oh, okay, you work with elementary kids or you work with high school kids. Um, You know, it's very different. Like, these are different worlds. But it's really not. And so to these folks in the nonprofit se- sector that work with strictly policy and K-12, um, you know, formative actions for education and policy for them, they see it as like, oh, you know, it's very different. So it was a for me, I had to sell it in the point that I was like, it's still education and we it's college readiness. So the work that you're already doing now, I do that at a you know, university or in, or a college or university. Oh, OK. Let me rephrase my question. I guess I didn't really say, well, I wonder you got that job because of your just luck. Like you had the right experience that connected well with your interviewers, not so much as how you frame your experience. No, because you, it's not about luck. You can't chance it on luck. That's what, when you, when you're applying for jobs, you have to look for jobs that you're either qualified for, that you're, you know, you're, you're competitive for, or you're a fit for. If you're just applying to random jobs and you're applying to like Kmart and then you're going to, it's, I'm not going to, it's not going to be luck that I get a job at Kmart. It's just well, anybody can get a job. Like, well, how do you or know that you're competitive for that job? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was you, like, you Courtney, that, what do you think? I mean, I would say you know that you're competitive for the job because you know what you can bring to the table. You share your experiences. You research, you research the organization, the mission, the values, what people are doing. You also ask your organization, who are your competitors? And from there, you learn, oh, okay, these people are the competitors. I know who these people are. Um, let, me, let, let me form my answer into... You know something that 
that will spark interest in terms of that I'm knowledgeable. But you know, I think I think I get what Casey's question is, and I I I do think mm-hmm. that a lot of it could be very circumstantial because I don't believe in luck. I believe in circumstance. So if I apply for a job, Casey applies for a job, and somebody from Princeton applies for their job, right, for the same position, and the hiring manager happens to have also been from Princeton. The probability that Casey and I are going to get that position or not as high as the person from Princeton. It's not fair. We can t- we can cry and Is pout that luck and, though? and and it's circumstantial I that think so it's circumstantial. Well, maybe I define it differently. Yeah, it's circumstantial. I isn't, yeah, that there was in in that there's something that the hiring manager found to establish a connection with the applicant and it's also it could also be circumstantial that um that the resume gets to the hiring manager also because what if the hiring manager is not from princeton but the person who did the application review was from princeton or had a child that went to princeton and they're like oh look this person was to princeton and they p- gave more attention to that resume well that's all he or say here you know so it's okay I like from my experience. I feel like it's for me with circumstance. Even though I'm, I think I'm a good worker. Um, <laughs> my my previous job, I got the job because I connected really well with my manager, and she just because she was a very creative person and I was a creative person, and she and I, I told about Brene Brown and she loved Brene Brown and it was just, she hired me. Be, I mean, for her the quality was more of how am I going to work with this person on every day rather than being smart? Because she said they were more qualified candidates than me, but she wanted me because um, she connected. It was a good rapport. And that was because I was just accidentally just made a, a random quote by this um, this uh, uh, researcher, Brene Brown, about vulnerability. I was just like, to me, it's like, okay, it's not luck. I agree with you. It's just like, there's something I think like, I want to say like, Below the universe that just got you there. I just, I just felt. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Courtney? I think there's this thing called an old boy network. Like people go to USC because alumni of USC tend to hire like USC people. Like it's just a thing. So I think Jasmine's thing isn't necessarily luck. It's more of padding your experiences so you give yourself a step ahead. Because when it comes down to it, to your point, Casey. You get a job because people like you. You get a job based on your connections. You get a job based on what you're doing because you can't necessarily test someone for all their technical skills in an hour. So it's really being able to understand and trust them and build that relationship is kind of what gets you a job. Unfortunately, you still get a job from a network perspective. I think getting your first job is the hardest because you probably need to know people in order to get a job faster. Like, I think it doesn't mean you're not going to get a job if you don't know people. It just makes it a little harder um, because that's just the reality of it. If your dad knows someone or your mom or your friend and they put in a good word for you, it makes it a lot easier for you because now the interviewer doesn't have to worry because you have a credible source that supports you. And that credibility is kind of what the staple of Princeton or UCLA or anything, like even the organization that you were working for, Jasmine, that kind of just is a stamp of credibility for you in that interview, I would say. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
So they talked I mean, about I've... that too in an article that even though you might not have the mm-hmm. experience or you know mm-hmm. you're trying to change up fields or or going to a different sector that getting the experience even if it's not paid but putting your name out there volunteer mm-hmm. volunteering at the organization or helping in any capacity shows that you're willing to learn and you're committed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I there was a really cool article in Fast Company that says. There are six ways that you can self-sabotage your own interviews. And I want to share with you guys um, and see what your thoughts are. Um, because you both been in the both sides of the the interview process. So the first one says, if you're the last person in an interview for the day, that would significantly affect your uh, quality of getting, um, getting the job. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I do because the the search, uh, com- the search committee is gonna give a little bit more attention. So maybe that's a tip to our listeners that if you're given like um, a range, like if if all interviews happen to be happening on the same day, and they offer you nine a.m., ten a.m., twelve p.m., four p.m., don't uh-huh. choose four p.m. <laughs> or eleven a.m. a.m. right right before lunch. I hear it's always bad. Oh, and right. I hear after lunch is bad too yeah, because it gets. I, yeah, that's true. So at, at, right before lunch, they're hungry. They want to go to lunch, and right at four o'clock, they kind of just want to leave. So they're just gonna rush through it, and they're they would actually probably be um, very happy if the interview were very short. So then they don't have to stay for so long. So I I would probably go as early as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. I agree, because I'm an early bird naturally. So. I feel you're most fresh and you have time to plan and prepare the night before. So that way you just make sure you, you have everything in your mind and you're just ready to go. Mm-hmm. What's wow. What else? Okay. Um, second point is if you talk way too much, that's a, that's a bad sign. They don't want you to talk too much during interviews. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. I hate that. <laughs> What? Yeah. <laughs> it's you like, wouldn't mind if I talk to you in interviews, right? <laughs> Nasa. If you don't make multiple points in that time frame and you talk yeah. for 10 minutes to make one point, I'm probably not uh. going to hire you. <gasps> oh, wait. I have a question for you guys relating to that. Um, when I do interviews, I tend to make like light, casual jokes to kind of ease up the spirit. Like, how, what is your experience when someone does that? Do you find that like annoying or like unprofessional? Or like, or do you enjoy that like the light banter? I think it's kind of <laughs> like the the applicants trying to break the ice, and I think it it depends. But I think the 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 lamest kind of joke is always defaulting to the weather because everybody seems to just default to the weather. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, great weather today, ha ha ha. Oh, the weather sucks today, ha ha ha. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like a, I don't know, it's like a useless sentence i guess i don't know it just it's like an icebreaker it opens up for you know for dialogue because you could hear if other people say anything about the weather it, it, it gauges the committee and i would say it's important too when you are interviewing depending on the type of job and position and responsibilities like you if it's more serious like if you're going for an executive role 
you you definitely don't want to be you know silly and jokey mm. like you want to you want to get you want to be you want to make sure that they understand like that you are taking a very serious role you're representing the organization mm. as a yeah. as senior leader mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. in, in that capacity like you know they're they're looking at you you might another thing you might think about is you're you might be supervising people that are older mm-hmm. than you so you know these are people mm. that, 20 years older than you or something like that that have been working at the institute at the organization so you have to think about all that how you're coming in as a as a as a new person into the organization and if you're in a, in senior leadership what will that look like so when you answer right. your questions and they ask you tell us about yourself you're not going to tell them oh you know i like to go every weekend to the bahamas on my you know just with my family yeah. I, drink, I hate that question I drink margaritas that question <laughs> yeah. is actually a yeah. wild card question in that question what you really need to do is you need to answer three things you need to tie your education your experience uh-huh. and uh-huh. then and then and then connect it to the position and from there you you know then you add you know this is why you're qualified for this position when you talk about yourself that's what hmm. they really want you to do they want you mm-hmm. to tie it into the position not telling them about yourself self so that's like that trick wild card question and that's the question that gets people to talk way too much and it's that's where it's like oh i said things that i should have not said oh yeah totally hear you okay mm-hmm. so the next one is if you trash talk your old job never do that you can't do that that's just bad never you have to show loyalty you have to show even to your supervisors your former supervisors you always show loyalty you always make sure that you that your supervisors are you know very highly respected that you make them look good um, you know, regardless of anything, it's very political and your, you know, your brand is on the line too of how you represent leadership. What you could say is, you know, there's organizational changes and it's affecting, you know, certain things. And so your, your mobility and, and you see yourself and why you're fit for this position and why it's, it's great for your, for your next move. But I would think that saying that you're leaving because of organizational change would make you, would would make yourself come off like someone who can't adapt to change, even though I. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Carl. Um, like even even though like they don't understand what those changes are, and maybe you have like a legitimate reason for leaving, they might perceive it as oh, you can't handle change. Mm, I mean, you depending on in what industry you're in. If you're in the private industry. You know, you're, there's a lot of mergers that happen. So you have two tech companies that are now merging together. What is that going to, what does that mean, Courtney, in that, you know, when something like that happens, you have organizational changes, people are moved around, their hours are cut or things are happening, their benefits, like all these different things affect people. So yeah. then that, that, the response to that question would be, there were some changes in the organization. We got purchased by XYZ Corporation and I got laid off. That that's that would be. What were you gonna say, Courtney? I would, even because I've if I've had issues with management and that's the real reason I want to leave. Instead, you shift the conversation and you divert it to why you want to work for that company. So yeah, there was organizational changes, but I really want to work for your company because you have this thing that's unique to you. Mm-hmm. Like it's you as the interviewees or the person who's like trying to find a job to 
do the research to find out why you want to work there because you shouldn't work there if you don't want to. I think desperation is a hard thing to get over because then it makes you a bit vulnerable, but it's really important for you to kind of keep a calm head and look for what's best for you in the long run instead of just getting a job to get a job. So if someone does get laid off, I don't necessarily hold it against them, but I don't want the reason for working for me because they got laid off. I want it to be something that they found at Horizon or at wherever I am because that's why they want to work there. Mm-hmm. I always frame that in terms of like growth. Um, it was like, oh, I want to go for this organization because I like this and this component. And for me, that's how I want to grow. And this is where I'm thinking I want to take my career in the next two, three years. And I always seem to get res- resonate with good response whenever I give that kind of mm-hmm. answers. Yeah, it's a because cookie cutter. To me, to me mm-hmm. like if like I would always ex- if if someone were to give me that answer, like oh, I want to work for your company because of your mission and your values <laughs> and your sixteen vision <laughs> statements. Like to me, yeah. it comes off like BS. Like okay, that, fine. Yeah, they okay. I'm like okay, great. You read through our website and you memorized it. So good. You know. They get points you for got that. Eight. They get points for that. <laughs> So, so, you know, so that's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is all about how, you know, how they respond. But you know what? One thing that that I do find challenging to answer is if if a hiring manager does ask you straight up, like, hey, looking at your previous job history, you've been hopping around about every year. Can you describe? Ooh. Can you tell <gasps> us a little that. bit more about that? Mm-hmm. What do you say, Casey? I always get that because my job is very, I, I, the max I say is like two years per job and I job hop a lot. So uh, I've been experimenting with different answers, but some of them goes to the effect of, you know, I'm a highly creative person. I like to constantly challenge. I like to try and explore new ideas. And um, I had a great opportunity at X company and I learned so much from them. And I was able to take that to the next level, to another company. And um, I, I'm really looking to grow and this is why I want to go to your organization because I see that you need a spot in XYZ and I, this is something that I've um, cultivated over the past you know, seven years of working and also I think it's something that could be a really valuable contribution and um, the workload seems very challenging and that's something that I really look forward to to make sure that's a good fit for me in organization. I don't know. What would, mm-hmm. what would you say, Courtney or Anna Jasmine? I would, mine is, be, I think it's expected in the marketing world for you to jump around. So I don't think it's too much of a, like a <laughs> red mark on your resume. But mm-hmm. I would say I move places because I see, like, I have a reason for moving. So if it's one, I'm going to get more exposure and alert faster. Two, I get to run my own team or I get to do other things. That's why. So I think I, I think as long as I'm at the point where if I'm honest, it's okay. And I would still be get a job because it's like an expectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think honesty in the end trumps everything because you have to be like the place you work at, right? Yeah, you have to. I mean, I would say in, in higher education, it's more of the entry level positions there. You hop around mm-hmm. a lot basically mm-hmm. two years and so those entry level positions are people are always changing once you get to mid-level uh, you mm-hmm. you want you stay also for about two to to maybe four years but then from there you want to hop on to be moving into a, a, a senior 
an executive senior position or something like that. So you need to make sure that you get those experiences from from colleagues that I've you know that I've spoken to at national conferences. They're they could be as young as thirty five years old, and they're they're already a vice president at some school. Um, you know, so but what they did was is that they they had to travel to different states to get the experiences that they needed. So they started off entry level, then they moved to, I don't know, somewhere in Ohio. They were there for a couple of years and then they moved to New York. And then from New York, they're in like, you know, Los Angeles now working in whatever institution. So you are able to to move faster depending on like how you see yourself in your growth from entry level to then mid-level and then senior level. So that's I know that time is running out, so I want to like finish with one last question, you guys, because I think this one's the most relevant one: salary negotiation. So, mm-hmm. what would be your best advice for that? Because I feel like in that kind of conversation, the the employees is always feel like there's more to prove as a new to negotiate than company. I have I have some advice about that. Sometimes in job applications you get to put the sal the desired salary and i don't think like i think if you can put negotiable in that box to do that as opposed to self-valuing yourself at three hundred thousand dollars a year because you think you're worth it um and i think it the first step when your job uh, when you're applying for a bunch of jobs is to get to the table and then that's kind of like when you really show them what you what you have to offer, your professional demeanor, your experience. That's when you have that conversation about that. And then I I am a firm believer that you should um, d- start. To, you you should begin the negotiation process when they make you an offer, because you don't want to talk about salaries when you're interviewing, because then that you know that might turn them away. If you aim too high at that point and there's another applicant, maybe with more qualifications, more experience, that's able to take a lesser salary. Um, so they're also. But what if they're persistent too. and they're saying how much you want to make? Like they, they can be very brutal. In right. The, so in the meeting. When, before you go to the interview, it's a good idea to use all the tools that we have available to us. Like Glassdoor, for example, will tell you what the range is. And another thing you could do is is um, take some of the uh, what is my worth um, sur- surveys that Glassdoor offers and other type of um, w- uh, websites offer where it can tell you ballpark about how much you should be making based on your skills and experience. And you, then you can, if they insist during the interview, then you can say, well, I've had the opportunity to review um, you know, to conduct this assessment and based on my education, my experience and my unique skills, it says that I'm worth between this and this. I feel like that's a weak position when you had to define your worth with your employer, with I, the company. I would just say that you don't even have to always think about monetary things. Like we, you could also mm. think about, you know, can you get um, a technology package? Like I've, I've mm. we talked about this too in our other episode. But I feel like mm-hmm. if there's other things that you can negotiate, like flex time mm-hmm. or vacation um, or childcare or 
pet care, all these different things that you need to make sure that you have. Maybe you could even negotiate that you work three days a week instead of working five days a week. You know what I mean? I mean, that, these are things that if they really like you and they uh-huh. and they they see that you're going to be beneficial to the organization, you can work out these kinks or professional development. Like if you want to go to conferences, like, you know, making sure that you get at least $3,000 a year for your professional development. That'll pay for you to go to conferences and do all these things. So you can oh. you can do that and leverage. And if it's an entry uh-huh. level position or a mid level position, um, depending on the organization, private or public, they might already have these um, these different packages for you. One thing I noticed when they asked me about the the um, the salary, I, um, I I was listening to a podcast and the, the coach was saying. Whoever gives out the numbers first loses. So you want to be the second person to give it. So if they like are uh, adamant about you giving a quote, the best way to turn around the table is just say, well, um, what is the range do you have in mind for this type of position? Or mm-hmm. what, how much resources are you allocated to this role? And they always give you the number. Yeah, they always do. That's At least I found that they always do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they give you the number because it decides if you even waste their time or it's a waste of your time. Like if they give you a number, they're like, oh, I'm only going to pay you like 50K. You're probably going to like, no, and then just move on. So I think that's why they have to tell you. But I do think it's important that you get a gauge because you have to take off work. You have to do all this other stuff just to interview. So your time is important. I kind of wish that there was this requirement where you you where they would have to list the salary range for every job posting because i'm finding more that the positions say salary commensurate with experience but they've already budgeted for that position anyway so they know how much they have set aside for that and they're not they're not uh thinking in the applicant's best interest and saying oh well let me pay them as much as i can you know they're also trying to save as much as they can too so they should at least tell you what the floor is so my thoughts. Yeah. All right. Cool. So now we're at the third yeah. out of the 34 minute mark. Do you guys want to move on to the bottom line? Yes. Sure. Yeah. Do we want to rock, paper, scissor it? Yes. Sure. Right. Let's go. All right. Rock, Ready? Paper, rock scissors. paper, scissors. Shoot. Casey, we can't see you. Oh, just kidding. Can you see me now? Okay. So I got scissors. So, so did Courtney. Two papers and two scissors. All right. So one of you two. Um, I go for Courtney. Ladies first. Okay. Uh, if you had one piece of advice for an interviewee as you as an interviewer, what would it be? One quality or one like tip, like your main go-to? Uh, Jasmine. I would say know, you know, know your, um, your niche because... When you're going into an organization, like you want, you want to sell to them that you can bring this to the table. That's, for example, for me, I'm, you know, one of my expertise is assessment. So when I, when I interviewed for my position that I currently have now, I talked about my dissertation. I talked about the assessment work that I do here at Ology, the assessment work that I've done at different institutions. And they were really impressed by that. And they were like, I can also bring that to the table to make sure for your beautiful reports so that our vice president can, you know, 
make sure like present to the president of the of the university like what's going on with our students with our graduates what's our retention rates what are these different things um aside from the programming aspect but more the research lens that i also contribute so that was something that is my niche and for for my supervisor that that was something that was valued that mm -hmm. i could bring to the table So the question is, one advice for interviewees. So they're they've already been called for the interview, right? Yeah. My advice would be do your homework. If you if you have received an email from the person who's going to be conducting your interview, um, and that person cc'd other people, that is like the golden ticket to for you to find out everything you possibly can about each person. If you find out that in a three-person interview committee, one person has a cat, another person loves, I don't know, uh, orange soda, and another one loves a certain book or a color or something, you can kind of like play strategically ahead of, you know, in ahead of that. Maybe that's the day that you wear the tie with the kitty cats or something. You know, these are kind of like silly ways that you can get the attention of the person indirectly. And you're preparing for that circumstance because remember, Casey and I were, were saying that it's also kind of luck, kind of circumstance. But if you create that circumstance ahead of ahead of time, then you're going to be establishing connections with the person that you're going to be interviewing with. And then when you leave, you're going to be liked and also ask a lot of questions. Um, research has shown that. People who ask questions are more liked than people who don't ask questions. And they're remembered, too. Yep. Hmm. Okay, well, my advice is going to be completely opposite and counterintuitive to both of you. Not surprised. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just my experience only. So, um, you know what I find is researching for the company, researching about the person, did nothing for me to get the job. What really got me the job was actually just being myself and coming in the interview with just not really caring. Not that I'm not not caring in the sense I don't care about the position of you, but it's just not caring that you will get the position or not. Like be you and authentic. I find that uh, my authenticity is what helped me secure the jobs because like if I spoke from passion of what I love, which is data analytics and research, it sh it it. it it shines through and i rather have a um, work for a company that you know values me as much as i value them so it's, it's two-way street because like i don't want to like make please them because that's manipulating them to thinking that i'm good i want to be good because i am good and i know i'm good and do they want me because if they want me i'm right here for the taking <laughs> <laughs> peace <laughs> what's your answer um, my thing is my thing is along with Carl is you have to do your homework and prepare, but questions are the most important because if you don't ask me questions to prove that you want this job for yourself, then you're not going to last very long at my company because you don't care what your long-term investment in my company is going to be. Like you're just here to be here because it has a fancy title. Like I want people who actually are looking out for things that the company can give them because it may be selfish, but at the same time, it at least gives me an idea that they're ambitious and they have an idea what they want to grow. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, this has definitely been very informative. And now we'd like to turn to our listeners. 
Are there any topics you'd like to hear on the show? Would you like to join us for an upcoming episode? Send us your thoughts at infoologyresearchgroup.org and also make sure to check us out on Twitter at Ology Research. Peace.